Hello everyone and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSideNews.com. Today we're going to be talking to the cancelled chaplain, Dr. Bernard Randall. This is honestly one of the craziest stories I've seen in a long time. And those of you who follow this podcast or, or read my columns know that these have been very crazy times in general. Most recently we've got a former cabinet minister in Finland, Pavi Rasanen, who's actually been charged with hate crimes because she tweeted Bible verses uh, condemning homosexuality and supporting the traditional view of marriage. And now we actually have uh, Dr. Bernard Randall, who is an Anglican chaplain working at Trent College, which purports to be a Christian school in the United Kingdom. While this is one of the many private schools that has decided to wholeheartedly embrace the LGBT agenda, and after stating in a sermon that Christian kids could in fact hold the Christian view, he was actually reported to a government anti-terrorist agency. I kid you not, a Christian chaplain at a Christian school was reported to an anti-terrorism agency. So, Dr. Bernard Randall was kind enough to join me on the show to talk about his experience and what he thinks it means for the United Kingdom, the West, and himself. Here's that interview. off, uh, maybe you could introduce yourself uh, to our listeners so they have a bit of context for who you are before we get into the insane situation you found yourself in. Yes, of course, absolutely. My name is Bernard Randall and I am uh, ordained in the Church of England. I've uh, been ordained for about 15 years uh, and I've served a little bit in parish ministry, but mainly in educational chaplaincy, uh, first of all at uh, Christ's College, Cambridge, uh, the university there. Uh, and then for um, most of the last five and a half years at Trent College, which is a school, um, goes from naught to 18 in England. So uh, it's, it's kind of interesting because the Church of England obviously now encompasses a wide range of views uh, on a bunch of different issues. Would it be safe to say that you're on the conservative end of the spectrum? Well, actually, I like to think of myself as being sort of liberal in the classic sense of you look at each individual topic, you reason about it, you make up your own mind based on evidence and the various possibilities, obviously scripture being one of the key pieces of evidence for any Christian. Um, so yes, on some topics, I end up on the conservative side, um, socially conservative, I guess, um, economically a bit more um, towards the left, I suppose it would be fair to say, but I think in common with a lot of Christians, varied views on different things and there's there's no one right answer in the bible uh, but i do think we ought to be paying full attention to what the bible is trying to say even if sometimes we don't fully understand exactly what it's telling us in the 21st century so maybe explain to us how you ended up on uh, on pretty much every single uk uh, radio station you were in the newspaper i see peter hitchens weekend column uh, was about you as well. So maybe uh, just sort of walk us through what took place and how you ended up at the center of this uh, media firestorm. Okay, well, it is quite a story. It starts a few years ago uh, where the school where I worked introduced um, a very LGBT-friendly program, whereas that's how it's built. And actually, it goes rather deeper than that. Um, and I raised a few concerns at the time that we had a staff training 
session on this, which included the leader of this um, organization called Educate and Celebrate, having the staff chant smash heteronormativity. Um, and if people know what heteronormativity is, then well done, because it's jolly complicated. Uh, do look it up online <laughs> to try and work out. But it's it's about the fact that, um, you know, being hetero, male and female, is, is the normal way that society operates. Um, so I was uh, uh, raised some questions about that as a Christian right. chaplain in a Christian right. school. Uh, I thought this is a little bit suspect. There are some problems here in terms of smuggling in effectively um, identity politics into what in other respects was reasonably okay. You know, don't bully people because of their sexuality. Well, um, duh, obvious. Uh, no one could object to that, I hope. You know, love your neighbour as yourself um, goes a very long way. Um, and I thought it goes far all the way that we need to go on these issues. We don't need to introduce something else. So I objected on the or sort of the political side of the thing and said, you know, we need a discussion about how and whether we implement this in the school and what elements we adopt. I was told, yes, fine, we'll have that discussion. And lo and behold, no discussion took place. And it was announced that we were adopting the whole thing in its entirety, which um, I was a bit miffed at, uh, to use a very English word. And um, following that, um, I picked up from various staff and people's sort of concerns about some of what they were being told and some disagreeing for religious reasons, some just sort of philosophically disinclined to go down the identity politics road. And um, eventually in the summer term, where I always ask people, what topics would you like me to talk about in chapel? One of them said to me, can you talk about how come we're told we have to accept this LGBT stuff in a Christian school? And I thought that was a really good way of asking the question because it wasn't which is right, which is wrong. It's how come we're told we have to. So I gave a sermon in the school chapel during an act of worship, um, which was along the lines of you don't have to accept any ideology that you don't want to accept. You make up your own mind. You think it through, and most importantly, you respect the people that you disagree with, even right. if you disagree very violently. Right. And um, so this is this is the sermon that got you into all the trouble, as I understand it. Um, that's right, uh, and it's available online in various places if, if you want to find it. The uh, the Mail on Sunday in the UK printed the sermon, um, so that's the the first sermon to be printed in a mainstream newspaper in the UK for quite some time, I suspect. Um, so that's the sermon that got me into trouble. Um, and because I had said, you may, if it seems right to you, hold to the church's traditional teaching on marriage, you may believe that biological sex is a reality and sometimes makes a difference, but doesn't always. You may question the way that gender identity is talked about and question whether it's coherent. Um, but that you must respect those that you disagreement. Loving your neighbour doesn't mean you have to agree. It just means you respect, and there's no excuse for personal attacks or abuse. Because of that, I was hauled in by the school's senior leadership um, and told there were complaints, and what mattered was not the beliefs or the truth. What mattered was how people were feeling about it. And as a result of this, um, I was suspended and eventually sacked uh, for gross misconduct, despite being a Christian chaplain in a Christian school, in a Christian chapel, saying you may be Christian. Um, shocking stuff, I know. Um, but also, most shockingly of all, I suppose, is I was reported to the 
police under the anti-terrorism prevent scheme, which we have in the UK, where people are supposed to be prevented being drawn into violent extremism. Now, this is the part that, that is is kind of the craziest. In one way, it makes sense, because if you follow the rhetoric of, of, of the LGBT, uh, like the political agenda, all the way to its conclusions, it makes sense because they everything has gotten so hyperbolic and so heated that it was almost inevitable at a certain point that claims like this were going to be leveled. When they say that basic, basic disagreement on fundamental issues, that somebody like J.K. Rowling is, is now a fascist and she wants to kill trans people with it on Twitter, eventually just stating a position is going to turn into something that is, is, is rendered equivalent to violence. And hate speech has nothing to do with whether or not you feel hate. It's about how other people have decided to define it. It's no longer about you know the animosity or lack thereof in your heart. It's actually about whether or not people have decided your words are, are dangerous by their qualification. But maybe explain for people who, who are gonna be kind of staggered by the idea that a, a Christian chaplain could get reported to an anti-terrorism government agency uh, what the who did this and what was their reasoning for reporting you to this anti-terrorism agency? Well, this was done by the school's designated safeguarding lead. Um, and, and every school has someone who's responsible for making sure that safeguarding happens. Um, and essentially that's about making sure that abuse or the signs of abuse are spotted and handled as quickly and efficiently as possible to prevent harm to children. Um, and that's a, a legal requirement in this country and absolutely right. And, and of course, um, why she felt that what I was saying was so extreme is, is for her to answer on the dread day of judgment, I suppose. I can't really peer into her mind exactly. I think, and I may be wrong, I think that she is heavily invested in the identity politics kind of approach to things. And so there was a certain sense of, this chap is opposing the thing which I hold to be the most important thing in the world. And that may have coloured her judgment somewhat, because I think the response I've had from people reading the sermon is there's nothing at all problematic here. It's thoughtful. It's respectful. Um, if anything, it's too tolerant of different points of view. A number of Christian commentators have said, and, and I, I'm happy with that because actually in a, in a school which is not only Christian, but there are people of other faiths and atheists and whatever there, you want to be able to be tolerant and moderate and, and commend the faith rather than force it and show it's intellectually coherent. That's what I always aim to do. Um, so quite what was going on is very hard to say, but she seems to have thought that even raising some of these questions was harmful in some way to LGBT peoples uh, and even the, the mere questioning of ideas equates to violence. You know, you, you've heard the slogan, silence is violence. Well, I, I wasn't silent enough. Yeah, that one, silence is violence. Yeah, speaking is violence, not speaking is violence. Essentially, it's say exactly what we want you to or else. It's, 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 it's very, very sinister for a whole range of reasons. But what was the government response to this complaint? Was... Was there any legs to it? Because one one would hope or one would imagine that this sort of thing would, would be laughed at, as you said, right? It's, you know, the, the, the Church of England has become a lot broader in recent decades, but not so broad that it's considered insane for a, a Christian chaplain to say Christian things at a Christian school, I would hope. 
Uh, well, you would have thought so, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> the the police response was it didn't meet the threshold for being taken further uh, as an anti-terror problem, which, you know, no great surprise, I think. <laughs> uh, but what's slightly disturbing about it is, um, first of all, the policeman who assessed it said, although it doesn't meet the threshold, it's wholly inappropriate in a school and inappropriate for society, which seems to be a personal opinion that he really should not be giving as a police officer who has um, sworn an oath of, of office to be politically neutral and, and certainly wasn't being neutral. And that's something we've seen with the police in the UK being um, taking part in pride marches and wearing um, pride flags on their uniforms and, and such like at various points in the year. So that was rather worrying. And the other thing was that the, the school didn't at any stage say, yes, actually, we somewhat overreacted there and this, this person made a referral. We don't think that was the right thing to do. They they insisted, no, that was the right thing to do and it was appropriate and proportionate and, and didn't sit down with me as sort of grown-ups around the table and say, right, let's work out what's going on here. They just doubled down on pretty much everything they were doing. So uh, we, we know what the government <coughs> reaction was and I had known it as well, but uh, the, the idea that a police officer, there's a chilling effect to a police officer stating that telling Christians they are allowed to be Christians in society is not appropriate for society in and of itself. Like that, that by itself should be a fairly big news story. Um, and if it wasn't 2021, I suspect uh, that, that it would be. But if we're, if we're kind of looking at, at what the media reaction was, I wonder if, if what's your analysis of the overall response? Because a lot of people seem to be saying this is, is pretty ridiculous. And one of the big questions about the LGBT movement is, is culture more or less uh, came around to the idea, for example, of, of redefining marriage. And that's not a particularly controversial issue in, in most Western countries at this point. However, when it came to gender ideology and, and sort of doing away with biological sex and how fast this new facet of the revolution was implemented, you see a lot of people saying this has gone too far, especially the stomping out of dissent. And, and in my reading anyways of, of the media, uh, in response to your case, it's sort of been like, this is, this is kind of ridiculous. And even those who might disagree with your stance are saying, uh, as as you uh, you put it perfectly, right? A Christian chaplain saying Christian things, you know, in in a Christian school. Like, how is this a news story? So, what what do you feel the uh, the, the press coverage of, of this event has been like? I think that the press coverage has been extraordinary in many ways. I mean, when the story broke with a four page spread in a national newspaper, which is pretty much unheard of, including, as I said earlier, printing the sermon. Um, and, and very clear that the, as, a, as a paper, they were supportive of the fact that you should be able to question things. You should, in a, in a liberal, tolerant society, be able to say, here are some opinions to think about. And the idea that you respect the people you disagree with should be the way that we run our society. And positive comments outnumber the negative by 100 to 1 easily in terms of what's sort of responded online and, and um, I've been supported by uh, an organization called Christian Concern who uh, are helping me with pro bono legal support which has been invaluable obviously um, and they have a fundraiser uh, so you know that's christianconcern.com slash Bernard if anybody feels motivated on that that would be gratefully received but one of the messages on that fundraiser 
was someone saying, I can't believe as a gay atheist, I'm donating to a Christian charity. But here it is. This is the state the world's come to, that if this guy loses his case, our society is lost. Um, and it's that kind of response that let me know, you know, I am not some religious extremist, um, as if I ever thought I was, in fairness. But it lets me know that society still thinks there is a place for reason and for rational discussion and for allowing people to have different opinions, which sometimes when you look at the media and the way that the whole gender identity thing and, and other aspects of identity politics are portrayed, you would think that absolutely everybody, apart from two people living on an isolated island somewhere, agrees with what they're saying. And actually, that's clearly not the case. And I think people are waking up to just how far the sort of illiberal intolerance of some of these messages uh, have become. So are you uh, encouraged by the response to your case? And do you think that uh, your case or cases like yours, because they're increasing in frequency over the last couple of years, although your case has gotten a lot more attention than most, do you think that your case or one or a case like it is going to be a catalyst for people saying, that's it, thus far, no further, we're not going to tolerate this anymore? I think it probably is going to help move the dial somewhat. Um, I, I hope it moves the dial a lot, but you just never quite know how things are going to go on. The next news story may come along and people forget about it. That that does happen, and you know, understandably. But I do think there is sort of a, a turning of the tide to some extent, but it's just really important that people who think the tide ought to be turned to keep working on it and to keep making sure that they are doing everything to keep these sorts of stories alive and in the public consciousness. Um, hopefully, because this is going to go to court, the court will rule in my favour and I rule very strongly in my favour and that will set a legal precedent and, and these things have to be fought in the courts as much as anywhere else to make sure that everything that goes on uh, has that sort of firm footing that next time it happens, people can say, oh yes, but the court's decided, you can't get away with that kind of stuff. Out of curiosity, because the one thing that struck me about this being a Christian school is, is, is at what point do these schools that are Christian schools become what they are now, right? Like, I, I, what, what is the evolution of a school that claims to be founded on Christian principles and actually does, in fact, have a chaplain uh, and does have, you know, sermons and worship? At what point do they become so extreme in the other direction that they're actually reporting their chaplain you know, to an anti-terrorism agency. What's like, what is that devolution like? It's really difficult to give a, a good answer to that question because it all happens so slowly over such a long time. The school was founded, uh, I think, 152 years ago. So when it was founded, we're in the middle of the Victorian period and being Christian was absolutely what people were. And that was no question about it. It was founded with a, a consciously uh, Protestant and evangelical foundation in contrast to some elements of the Church of England which have got a more Catholic lean to them. So it was it was deliberately of a particular kind. Over the course of time, society becomes more secular and, and Christianity is less the thing that everybody does. So there is a sense in which people want to um, adjust the way the schools talk about these things and, and up to a point that's fair enough. So what happens, I think, is that the schools think, oh, well, our customers, because it's a fee-paying school, our customers aren't so very Christian, so we must become not so very Christian to fit with our customers. 
rather than the thing which the founders clearly intended to say to the wider society, here is something really valuable in Christianity, and we are going to offer that alongside a good, well-rounded education as well. So somehow different members of senior leadership get appointed over the years who just let it drift a little bit more towards the secular until someone is appointed to a job where she's in a position to think, yes, this Christian stuff needs reporting to prevent. And that's, yeah, a long process. Sadly, there aren't enough people going into leadership in in Christian schools or other organisations who are Christian and willing to stand up for it. Well, to what extent is that a a sort of uh, self-perpetuating cycle? Because on the one hand, there's fewer people going into Christian leadership, but there's also this idea that not even in a Christian institution are you safe expressing Christian convictions and principles. So a lot of people, I would argue most, in in many countries, in, in Canada, in the UK, in certain areas in the United States, the decision is made to just keep your head down and kind of get on with it, right? Make your living, support your family, you know, do your job and, and don't engage in, in these fights. And, and most people, like yourself included, I presume, end up at the center of these maelstroms entirely by accident, entirely without intending to, and then end up becoming a catalyst for all these people who are just sort of getting on with it. But what would you say to, to all the Christians listening um, who are just sort of doing their thing and are avoiding uh, getting directly involved with these cases uh, and donating to, to, to causes like your own um, because they, they just want to sort of keep their head down and stay out of the culture wars. I totally understand why people want to stay out of it. The trouble is that if you just stay out of it forever and never say anything, even quite mild, uh, you end up with a situation where people are telling you what you can and can't do as part of your faith. And I sort of reminded of Martin Luther saying, here I stand, I can do no other. And do we want to be in a society where the people in society who are coming from identity politics, which is Marxist and postmodern and and atheist, where atheists are saying to us, here is where you may stand. We will tell you where you can stand. You can do no other. Rather than saying for ourselves, here I stand. This is my choice. This is my decision in my conscience. Do we have to follow someone else's conscience? And I think if you are, as a Christian or a person of any faith, quite frankly, in a position where someone else's conscience is dictating how you conduct yourself and the things you say, I think you you should therefore realise things have gone too far. Have you got any ecclesiastical support amidst all this? Um, Not really. I mean, I've had some really good colleagues um, in the ministry who have been very supportive personally. Sadly, the the church hierarchy has not been supportive. Um, When the the initial problem arose and there was disciplinary action, they said, well, we, we can't interfere. We won't intervene because it's an internal matter for the school to take forward. And in the sort of legal sense, I can understand why they might do that. That was a little bit disappointing that they couldn't just call up and say, is there something we can do to help mediate this situation? Uh, but since the story has broken, the, the church hierarchy in England has been um, sadly silent on even just saying, we can't comment on this case, but freedom of religion really matters. Like, they haven't been able to say that. And that I think that's really sad, but you know, they're letting someone else dictate their consciences, it would appear. I'm always curious with cases like this, and, and maybe the answer is explained in an essay <clears throat> Peter Hitchens wrote for First Things a couple of years ago, 
uh, when he wrote about why why he stays Anglican, why he remains in the Church of England despite believing, I suspect a lot of things similar to you, at least on the social front. But I always uh, I have and I have quite a, quite a few friends actually who have remained Anglican despite what you're referring to right now. But I like to ask the question because I am always curious. Considering what the hierarchy has done, why do you stay Anglican despite the fact that they are not backing you when you're going through all of this? Um, that's a really good question. I have wondered the same myself uh, over the last week or so with the, the silence coming from the hierarchy. It's a really tricky one in some respects. Um, part of the answer is, is I'm English. It's just sort of in my DNA to be Church of England. Uh, I grew up in the Church of England. It's always been where I have been at home. And there is a virtue in the Church of England in the sense that it's there for everybody, in different shades of belief and opinion are possible within the Church of England. It's sort of, it ought to hold a middle ground. And when it does that, it does that brilliantly. Right at the moment, I'm not sure over identity politics and that kind of stuff. It is holding the middle ground and that's really disappointing. So I remain, partly because that's where I've always been and, and the shift would be too hard, partly because if I can stay and be part of drawing the church back to that middle ground, that being there for everybody and the ordinary people, um, then, then that's a calling in itself, is, is to be loyal to the community. And I guess everybody has been through this thing where they're sitting in views in the congregation of, of whatever denomination it is, and there are difficult times, and they think, why on earth am I still coming to this church? This minister is, is you know, well, I won't say the words that they might be thinking, but you know the kind of thing that we all probably have, or the person who serves the coffee has been rude to me for the 1500th time, and why am I still staying, or whatever it might be. But I think we stay because actually you you belong to that community. It's what what God has given you, almost like a family. We don't choose our families and we have to stick through them through thick and thin. And in a sense, that's a, a vocational thing. And I guess I feel that quite strongly as an ordained minister. The final question, I guess, would be, uh, could you direct uh, our, our listeners to your case again? You mentioned it in, in the middle of the of the podcast here, but I know Christian Concern is helping you out. If people, A, want to find more details about your case and B, want to support your case, uh, where can they read more and how can they do that? Yeah, you'll find that on christianconcern.com slash Bernard. Um, there is a, a link there to make a donation if people feel able, uh, but lots of links to more information. Uh, the text of the sermon is on there and uh, various videos of me. Uh, and if you do an internet search, there are other things that you'll find of people commenting. And as I say, so many positive comments, which encourages me to think the tide is really beginning to turn on some of these areas. So, um, yeah, watch that space. Well, on that strangely optimistic note to a very, very crazy story, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to share all of this with us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for, for this afternoon. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with the Reverend Dr. Bernard Randall. He's a chaplain in the United Kingdom and is undergoing a crazy experience in which he was reported to a government anti-terrorist agency for expressing the Christian view on the LGBT agenda. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to lifesightnews.com and click on the podcast tab where you can find all of our shows. If you'd like to check out past shows for content like this or subscribe to hear future shows, Again, thank you so much for joining us this week, and we do hope that you'll join us again next week.